Good morning, church. If you've got a Bible, I wonder if you might turn it on or turn to Mark chapter 1 in the New Testament, second book of the New Testament. There's some Bibles down here if you want, because we're going to be digging and following in um, the first part of Mark chapter 1. So if you um, want a Bible, come and grab one. Don't don't have the embarrassment of um, just sitting there. Come and grab one, please, um, because it's really important that we dig dig, um, into the Scriptures. Just as you're doing that, as you turn um, to Mark chapter 1. Um, Andrew mentioned the micro conversation. We've got Ben Cooley coming on the 3rd um, of June. Um, he's going to be preaching all day. I, ben is one of those incredible people, I think, that um, just brings incredible inspiration. Um, he's someone you want to hear um, probably twice, two or three times in the day. He's full of great stuff. And I want to encourage you to come and hear. He, um, he's the CEO of Hope for Justice, which is one of those great organizations that seeks to um, end modern day slavery. We're backing them. We want to be a part of them as we are um, with the micro conversations about fostering and children at home with Chris Kandaya. And then it's um, David Westlake is coming to speak from IJM. <laughs> He's the CEO um, of, uh, of um, International Justice Mission. He's coming on the 4th of November. He's a brilliant speaker again, part of Soul Survivor family, connected um, with him. And he'll be at New Wine um, this summer as well. But all to say, if you've, um, um, oh, the other thing to mention, if I may, as part of wanting to support Hope for Justice, I'm doing a bit of an event, um, a challenge on the 19th of May, um, 13 days from today. Um, it's a kind of like triathlon type thing. It's three events. It's um, cycling, kayaking, and um, anyway, all to say, um, I'm really going to struggle to do it. I'm doing it with two friends, James Clapp, one of them. I would love it if you would sponsor us. Um, you can go, the details are in there on the the. The, in the news sheet, but also if you just type in, if you go to Google and type in Gareth Dickinson, just giving, the page will come up. I would really appreciate it. We're trying to raise £2,000 for Hope for Justice to help end slavery, and it would be fab if you um, would support us in that. That's enough of the plugs. If you've um, not been around or you've been away the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series of vision over the last two consecutive um, Sundays. We've been looking at vision and Andrew kicked us off um, helping us to think through what is our vision for us as a church as we begin to move forward in this new season that the Lord is um, bringing us into. But our sense is that as we fix our eyes on Jesus to make committed followers of Jesus who will change communities and nations for him, that's our mission to make disciples. That's what Jesus followers do. Jesus followers make Jesus followers. And our sense is that God is calling us to three uh, particular themes in the unfolding story of the life of our church. That um, we would have a position of uh, positioning ourselves before God. That we would have that posture of seeking to grow as followers of Jesus. That we want to go deeper into God. We want to go deeper into our lives in more surrender. And whatever that might mean for you and I, we want to go deeper with God. And you know, part of this series is asking ourselves, as we, disc- as we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, how are we posturing ourselves in a life that models Jesus, that goes before him. Secondly, as we seek to partner, we're partnering to serve. We want to partner with other organizations in the town, in the city, organizations globally like Hope for Justice, like our Kenya partnership, like International Justice Mission and Home for Good and other great organizations. We want to partner to serve God's kingdom in the world. And we want to plant for new life. 
And that's not just about planting churches. Yes, that is about that sense that God's been calling us to plant churches and we have planted churches over the last 10, 15 years. You remember Paul Oxley that was a part of here. You remember Chris Bamwell that was a part of here. In fact, St. Paul's was a graft from here um, however many years ago down in... Um, in St. Paul's in Cheltenham. We, want, we believe God is calling us to plant churches. But more than that as well, in advance of that, we want God to be um, um, you know, stirring in us as a congregation, stirring you to plant new life. What does new life look like in your place of work? Life that is seeking to thrive under God, in God's kingdom. What might that look like? And so it's planting in our community. We then had the privilege of um, John Coles, our friend from New Wine, coming to speak. And John spoke about personal vision. You might remember if you were here last week, and if you've not, I would encourage you to go back and uh, watch John's talk, that in the light of Easter, the resurrection changes everything. In fact, the resurrection, the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus redefine reality. They redefine a reality under God, under God's sovereign power, and that sense in which, biblically, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us, bringing new life in us and through us out into the world. And you remember John spoke particularly about how um, you know, one of the aspects of, of, of the Christian faith, that of kindness, the kindness of God. I loved what Mike said earlier when he just gave that little story about coming on Alpha. It was the kindness of the leaders. The kindness of the leaders on Alpha. And of course we know that scripture, don't we? It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that turns people, that brings people back to God. I love the fact that 12 months on, Mike is leading a group on the next Alpha course starting on Thursday. That's been his journey. He's grown. He's growing as a disciple of Jesus and he understands the importance of making other disciples of Jesus. So in this so now we're kicking into Mark. So where does that go? How does Mark follow on from that? Well, of course, Mark's gospel is about a different kind of vision. Mark's gospel is about having a vision of Jesus. I wonder what your vision of Jesus looks like. Who is Jesus to you? Who is the one that you seek to follow? Who's the one that I seek to follow as um, a follower of Jesus? So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1. And all to say, because we're in this teaching series over the next um, couple of months, straight through to the summer, um, I'd encourage you, maybe think about um, grabbing hold of your Bible and reading Mark's gospel all in one sitting. You know, take 15, 20 minutes and just, just maybe a bit longer if you can, but just get used to the language and the words of Mark's gospel. And um, you might find um, a number of things particularly helpful. I would thoroughly recommend this brilliant book, which is um, popular theology from N.T. Wright. It's brilliant, it's deep, but it's, it's helpful. Tom writes an incredibly helpful language. And Jenny Harris has got about 30 copies for us over there. And I would use this in your d- daily devotion. Um, take it it's, um, in your work bag or whatever, or on the school run. If it, well, if you're driving, you don't want to read it, but um, <laughs> that wouldn't be good. But, um, you know, for lunch, whatever. And I'd also encourage you, maybe you want to think about getting a journal. We've got a couple of journal little books so you can scribble all over them. Or if you've got a Bible like I have, scribble all over your Bible. Use your Bible as a, as a manual as we seek to underline text, you know, grab hold of verses as the Lord speaks to us. And then Jenny's brilliantly managed to get hold of three. We've only got three copies of uh, the month, but the book of Mark's gospel for children. 
Maybe read this with your children over breakfast. Wouldn't that be a great thing to read a couple of verses, a couple of sections of Mark's gospel with your children over breakfast? However you want to do it, I'd encourage you, dig into Mark's gospel. So shall we do that? Mark chapter one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended to him. Just a couple of things um, to give the background of uh, Mark's gospel, if we can. It's helpful, um, I think, to know that generally scholars believe that Mark was written by John Mark, um, cousin of Barnabas, um, the one that we read about traveling around with um, Barnabas in the book of Acts. And he's mentioned a number of times in the book of Acts in relation to Paul. And if that is correct, that it is Mark, and, and as a young man, it, um, some, some people believe that at the end of Mark's, towards the end of Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 14, I think it's verse 51, um, Mark is the naked person that runs away um, in the Bible when Jesus is arrested. Some people um, generally believe that that was, that was um, Mark, the writer of this gospel. And if, that's all the, if, if that is all true, that John Mark wrote this, he was around and he was an eyewitness to much of the detail that we find recorded here in Mark's gospel. He would have taken notes at Peter, and a lot, there's a lot of Peter's influence. He probably took notes from Peter. And in terms of what's written, and when, when Mark was written, um, most people generally believe um, because the, the book was, a, because there's very little um, around the persecution of the church that, that Mark's gospel was written probably over a period of 10 years from AD 55 to 65, probably in circulation, 66, 67 AD. Why is that important? Well, it's probably one of the, the earliest got full gospel accounts that we have, but perhaps most importantly, that I find it this really helpful um, is that if, the, if, the, if Mark's gospel was in circulation around AD 60, 67, which is what I'm saying it is, there would have still have been people alive that would have been able to um, contested perhaps the accuracy of some of the text, of some of the life and the ministry of the text that was being circulated around the, 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 um, about the life and ministry of Jesus. People would have been able to have contested if it was wrong. 
Because this is only 30, 34, 35 years after Jesus' death on the cross. So if all the, all the details around that three-year life of the ministry of Jesus were untrue, we would have somewhere in the accounts of history people arguing or saying, that's not true. But as far as I know, and Mike will let me know, I'm sure, we've got no account in history of anyone contesting the accuracy of the life and the ministry of Jesus in Mark's gospel. So we can be confident that this gospel account of the good news of Jesus is an accurate account of what took place in the life of ministry of Jesus. So thank you, Mike. So we have a foundation of faith based on something that is historically accurate and carries the tests of time. So Mark's gospel. The question I want us to think about in the brief time we've got left is, what is its purpose? What is its purpose? That's the question I want us to think about as we kick off Mark's gospel. But first, let me ask you, if you had one message to tell the world, what would it be? What would be your 280 characters on Twitter? Your one message to the world, what would it be? Lots of messages in our world, aren't there? There are lots of messages that we hear that influence our daily life from the news, from marketeers, from our friends, from our colleagues, from TV box sets on Sky or whatever it is. What would be the message that we would want to communicate? Well, here's a message from one child, kid, kid president. Let's watch this. You know, but full of little life messages, and I love that one. If you picked it up, it's everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. Everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. Um, subscribe if you want to. But of course, there are lots of messages that influence us in our culture. Succeed, whatever the cost. It doesn't matter what the cost is, whether it's the cost of your family. You know, let's succeed in business. Live life to the full. Be the best. Forget the rest. The best thing you can give the world is a healthier version of you. I don't know what are the messages that you hear on a, on a daily basis, but um, I know some of the messages that I hear, I hear are less than helpful to the life that it means to walk, for me as a follower of Jesus. It's been said, I wasn't able to find the author of this quote. Um, if you know, do tell me. But your life is a message to the world. Make sure it's inspiring. Your life is a message to the world. Make sure it's inspiring. If that's the case, if that's true, what message does your life communicate? What message does your life communicate? What does your life say to your work colleagues? What does your life say to your neighbours? What does your life say to your spouse? What does your life say to your family members? I wonder what message people would say about this church family. What would be the message that we communicate? Is it a message that people also want to replicate in their lives? Is your life message a message that people want to replicate? 
Does our life communicate positioning before God and a desire to serve others in partnering to serve? And does our life create an environment where we plant life, where people's lives are thriving as we seek to advance God's kingdom in the world? The life, your life, that people meet on a day-to-day basis takes its cue from all kinds of different messages. As I said, whether it's TV box sets, Sky, whether it's the news stream that we follow on Twitter or different people that we, 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 this stuff comes in and the more we get embedded in our culture, the more that our culture affects the way that we live out our lives and the values that our culture represents. I wonder what's the culture of your workplace I wonder what's the cultural values of your family? What are the values that you have as a married couple? And where do we take our cue from? Where do we take, what's the basis in which our values and our messages are formed and communicated? Well, Mark, as we get into Mark's gospel, Mark takes his cue right at the very beginning, and he, he gives us this truth that is the message that he wants to communicate to the world. And it's right up there, front and center, in verse one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right at the very beginning of his gospel, right at the very beginning of the account of the life of ministry of Jesus, he wants us to know what he believes. He wants us to know his message. Jesus is the anointed one sent from God and he is the son of God. He is God's divine representative. Right at the very beginning, he believes Jesus is the son of God. What I love about the scripture is how you know, unfolding messages kind of like capture um, the, the life and ministry of Jesus, in the, particularly here in Mark's gospel, because towards the end of Mark's gospel, you might know, when Jesus dies, the centurion declares, surely this man was the son of God. And it's like at the beginning of the life life of of Jesus and it's at the end of the life of Jesus, Mark sort of bookends the life and ministry of Jesus, his, his life and his death with these two statements, Jesus is the son of God. And everything else in Mark's gospel is the unfolding narrative of his life. But Mark is clear, Jesus is the son of God and that's his message to the world. I wonder if that would be our message. Mark is in no doubt that his message is clear and simple. Jesus is the son of God. And in the story that then follows as we look at the text, in our passage, Mark writes about another messenger. Another messenger who's coming with um, another message And we find John the Baptist, he arrives on the first century scene with this message of repentance, this message of coming back to God, of turning back to God. And up until this moment in Israel's history, God has been silent. 400 years of silence. Ever felt like God's silent in your life? Israel had 400 years of silence. They were waiting, they were looking for a sign. You know, they might have been wanting a political, charismatic leader. They might have been wanting a soldier with, you know, strategic skills to lead them from um, the oppression of, of the Romans. 
And it's quite a surprise when John the Baptist arrives on the scene, this prophet with this message to Israel, turn from your wicked ways. It's not a popular message. It's not a popular message. No one ever wants to wake up in the morning, do they, to a message that says, turn from your sin. It's not a popular message. Some thought John was mad. Some thought he was dreaming, maybe even hallucinated. But Mark knows, which is why he puts it in here, here that, that, that John is, is giving a wake-up call to Israel. Church, do we need a wake-up call to who Jesus is? Do we need a wake-up call, perhaps of our own need of repentance? And what John was doing as um, he, he gives this story, John was retelling a familiar story in Israel's history. You see, every year at Passover, they recited the story of the Exodus from Egypt, how God had rescued um, the people of God from slavery under Pharaoh. They were enslaved, they were, they, they were bound. That's why modern day slavery is such a, a, a heart of God. You know, God wants us to know freedom and anyone who is enslaved, whether it's through um, servitude or whether it's through sexual exploitation, God wants them to be set free, which is why not on our turf and, and hope for justice and IJM, we're getting right behind them because it's here in the Bible that God wants to see people free from slavery. And through the waters of baptism, as through the waters of the Red Sea, God wants his people to find freedom. He wants them to find freedom. But more than telling the story of the Exodus symbolized through baptism in the water, John is wanting his hearers, his readers, to know that, they, that they've got a part in the drama. It's not an, a, 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 a retelling of an old story. There's a new chapter to the story where there's a new person coming to lead God's people into freedom. And John is preparing the way. They were to leave behind Egypt. They were to leave behind their own slavery to sin. Their own slavery to rebellion against God. They needed to turn around and come back to God. I wonder if you know anyone like that. I wonder if you know anyone who in your heart you know needs to turn around and come back to God. Maybe they'll be one of the five people that you write down on your card as part of thy kingdom come or tie a knot in your wrist and pray you know, fervently and passionately for them to come to know Jesus. I wonder if you know someone who needs to come back to God. But John has more to his message. Not only is John calling Israel back to God, repentance, we know that, we know that word, don't we? The, the word that is used is metanoia, which means to come to a change of mind, a change of place, to, to turn from living to, um, a life for yourself to turning to living for God. That's what repentance is. But not only is John calling the people back to repentance, he's preparing them to receive. He's preparing them to receive God for themselves. I wonder, church, who are we preparing to receive Jesus? In our prayers, in our life, in the message that we communicate, who are we preparing to receive Jesus? 
We're not sure um, from the text exactly who John was thinking about, who was coming, but um, what we do know from John is that um, what John did with water, this baptism, the one who was coming would do with the Holy Spirit, that there would be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the steps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? The word that's used, baptizo, um, literally means to be immersed, to be fully dunked in, to be almost like to be drenched in. It's like getting a big fire hose and going, whoa, being absolutely saturated with the presence of God. And that's what Jesus was bringing. And he himself recognized the importance of baptism. You know, Jesus, um, Jesus sets himself in many ways in that Exodus story. He himself is baptized. He himself goes through the waters. Not that he needed to go through waters of transformation, but he identifies with God's people. And I think if Jesus needs to be baptized, we need to be baptized. So if you've not yet been baptized, we're going to be baptizing people um, um, coming up next month on the 10th of June. What does it mean to be baptized with the Spirit, to so much overflowing that the Holy Spirit not only fills us up, but overflows into the life that we live? That actually the influence of the Holy Spirit is not just in us, but through us, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our community. Are you full of the Holy Spirit to overflowing if you're not, maybe you want to come and be prayed for this morning that the Lord would fill you to overflowing. I would love us to do that. Mark tells the story of Jesus' own baptism and he goes on to make the point, and I think it's implicit in the text, that it's only after the outpouring of the Spirit on and in Jesus does Jesus begin his public ministry. It's only when Jesus himself is filled to overflowing with the presence of God, when the Holy Spirit comes down on him and he, you know, God speaks and affirms his identity as the Son of God. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus begins his ministry of proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Next week, we're gonna look at the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus. If there's one message that Jesus has, it's of the kingdom of God. God's rule and God's reign in the world now and today. And that's the message of the church. But the truth is that there will be no fruitfulness in our mission or vision as a church in your life, in my life, without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We would be wasting our time. All our initiatives, all our alphas, all our um, um, street teams, you know, whatever. Unless we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are wasting our time. Why? Because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Last time I checked, nothing was nothing. Nothing that will last. Nothing of eternity without the empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit at work and in us. The significance of God's presence with his people 
is a promise that was incredibly familiar to the readers and to the hearers of Mark's gospel as it was being circulated in the first century. They would have remembered the Exodus story. They would have remembered how God's presence came through the pillar of fire at night and through the pillar of cloud in the daytime. And here now, God's spirit is coming to fill every believer through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' presence being outpoured. And then at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, as we know that God's spirit is for absolutely everybody, young, old, um, different social classes, absolutely everybody, the spirit is poured out for the purposes of Jesus' mission and for following him. God's spirit is poured out with people, in people, and through people, becoming the very air that we breathe and the fire in our hearts to pray passionately for people to come to faith over these next days of thy kingdom come and beyond. To pray for your children who don't yet know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus. We started praying for our son Jacob as a couple when he was in his mother's womb. We started calling him to Jesus and we commit to praying for him every day that he will come to that personal revelation of Jesus himself. I don't know who it was on the video that we just watched from Thy Kingdom Come. You know, they're, they're an anonymous person perhaps that prayed for Justin Welby to come to faith in Jesus before he was even born. If you're someone who's pregnant, pray for your child who's not yet born, that they would come to know Jesus. If you're a grandparent, pray for your grandchildren, that they would all come to know Jesus. So right at the beginning of Mark's Gospels, and I'm going to come into close, we meet three people, I think, in this beginning narrative. We meet three people, I think, that communicate three messages. We meet Mark, his message, Jesus is the Son of God. That's what he believes, and that's what he's going to live his life for. We meet John, the Baptist, who says... Come back to God and receive Jesus. That's his message. And I've said, I think, what's implicit in the text of Jesus and Jesus coming and his desire to baptize people with his spirit, Jesus' message is be baptized with my spirit to overflowing. Why? As we'll see next week, that we might proclaim and demonstrate his kingdom in the world. What is Mark's message? I think Mark's, Mark's purpose for writing his gospel is for one clear, resounding message. And I think it's this, that Jesus is the son of God. Come and receive Jesus into your life. Be filled with his Holy Spirit to live for him and his kingdom. I think that's the purpose of Mark. And over the next coming weeks, we're going to see this unfold under our very eyes. But the question is, that's Mark's message. What's your message? What message are you communicating? What message am I communicating? Why don't we stand?